one way to establish a habit that will lead to long-term success is doing it small, which I know people mm-hmm. don't like to hear, especially those of us with perfectionistic tendencies who, when we're looking at a closet that is bursting at the seams, we're like, well, I want to have an entire weekend, or I'm going to wait for an elusive eight hour time slot in my week to open up to start. And then meanwhile, it gets more messy, more cluttered, your stress levels rise, you can't find what you need, you're wearing the same two outfits, even though you have 800 outfits available to you, because it's all you can't find anything. Hi, I'm Amy Kiefer, a nurse, doula, and personal trainer. And I'm Crystal Howell, a women's health and orthopedic physical therapist. We're the co-founders of Expecting and Empowered, and we just so happen to be sisters. We built this business because we saw a huge gap between the information that women were given during pregnancy and postpartum and the information that they need. We're committed to helping close the gap so that women are better equipped to navigate these demanding and challenging years. Yes, we're both moms of three, so we know firsthand how many changes women go through physically, mentally, and emotionally because women aren't getting enough information to make informed decisions about their own health. It leaves mothers picking up the pieces afterwards. We need that to change. With our professional backgrounds, we're going to pull the curtain back on this season and give you the information you need to thrive. We're on a mission to change women's health. Let's do this. I've got the pleasure of talking to Katie Joy Wells on the podcast today, and she is a declutter expert. She's all about giving sustainable tips to live clutter-free, even with kids. She really prides herself in leading with compassion and personal experience to help people declutter and simplify their home so they can focus on what really matters to them. Katie, I would love if you started by telling us how you got your nickname of your declutter bestie. (laughs) I love it. Well, Amy, it's so good to talk to you again. So I think a lot of us have experienced trying to decluttering, trying to declutter or just being overwhelmed by mass clutter, all the things. And I kept hearing from students over and over that through having my support, it just felt like having a best friend there. But, you know, like that tells you just let it go or just empowers you and makes it fun. And it's just when you have someone there to support you, it really changes everything and helps you overcome roadblocks and move past so many things that keep us stuck. And so I just kept hearing over, you're like having a declutter bestie right next to me, even if it's earbuds, you know, I'm hearing on the podcast or watching a masterclass or whatever that is. And so I've just, I just rolled with it. I listened to your podcast and it was so helpful to me. I decluttered my closet after a specific episode that was helpful. And I'm telling you, it was so helpful. So I can totally see the declutter bestie and how people (laughs) feel that way. As we talked about right before we got started, the idea that you're compassionate towards people is so huge for us in this community because we know that women, both of us are moms, we know that there's already so many demands. And so then when we think about our house, it's just another thing. But what we also talked about is how triggering clutter can be. Like sometimes I see it and I'm just like shaking because I'm like, it's just, you can't, you're overloaded. All your senses are overloaded and you see this clutter and maybe, you know, maybe something topples over or it's just that one thing that happens where you're like, I can't take this anymore. So I want to know as moms, does it feel like your clients are saying when they became moms, 
clutter got more overwhelming for them. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, you have more humans in your house now. And I feel like, you know, for me personally, when I became a mom, I remember after my baby shower, you know, what a blessing to have all these people who love and support me come and give me all these gifts. And after we moved all these baby gifts into the nursery, I looked at my husband and this was after we moved from a thousand square foot townhouse to a 1700 square foot home, which we're still in. I looked at him and said, once we have baby two, uh, we're going to need a bigger house, just so you know. And this was right when we moved into a new house that was so 700. And so it's so funny that, you know, the automatic, uh, you know, habit for people is it's a space issue, not a stuff issue. Like I just need more space and then I wouldn't have a clutter problem. But the, but the reality is we as humans tend to fill up the space we have and overfill it. And like you said, triggering is a big word that comes up for a lot of women because clutter and mess is so loaded. And I think there's definitely a generational aspect to it, depending on how we were raised in our experience and how our caregivers, you know, influenced our relationship with stuff and keeping a home and all these things. I mean, we live so much differently. I know it sounds kind of like, haha, but we do live so much differently than even one, two generations before us. We're more taxed. We have typically more responsibilities in different ways, right? I'm not saying it was easy back then, but when we see mess and we see clutter, sometimes it's really deep rooted in the sense that we feel shame. Like, oh, I'm a bad mom because I just hopped on Instagram and this influence I follow has 18 kids and just made a homemade apple pie and her kitchen is spotless. <laughs> and she <know>? homeschools. <laughs> and she homeschools and she has a smile on her face 24 seven. I'm like, so a lot of us go, well, what's wrong with me? And the judgment, the blame, and a lot of resentment bubbles up for women and moms because decluttering kind of falls within that invisible load, right? This unseen labor, this unseen work that is often unappreciated, unseen, and like you're the spearhead in your home for it. And obviously it's an exercise where you just have to keep doing it. Um, I used to de kind of rage declutter once a year. I think, you know, when the toys got really overwhelming one weekend and I got upset and I yelled and then I was like, okay, the solution is to declutter. I'd fill up trash bags. I think we've all had those moments. Where yes. Like, oh, oh my, you're I describing me. so much better. <laughs> and then I wouldn't declutter again for like another year until like the clutter. And every day in between that, then I could feel the stress rise. I could feel the resentment, the frustration, the overwhelm. I didn't even want to be home in my house. I'd rather be out running errands or stay at work longer. So you know, that totally, totally an avoidance <laughs> mechanism now that I've been in therapy for a long time, hindsight 2020. Um, but I think shifting that narrative when it comes back to the shame piece, because that's big for a lot of moms, is that you are an amazing mom, regardless if your home is decluttered or not. And giving ourselves grace and permission to not strive for like, sometimes the pendulum swings too far the other way. And this perfection piece comes up and we just want to have that perfect after photo, but it really doesn't exist, right? There's, there's an element of mess that happens no matter who you are, whether you're Marie Kondo, the minimalist. Um, one of my, I felt, I think a lot of people felt like kind of excited to read an article. I'm not sure if you read this, Amy, um, but when she wrote her book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, she didn't have children. Yes. And she's the first one to say, like, she was all about perfection, tidiness and order 24-7. She couldn't tolerate any mess. It was just, boom, here's the strategy, here's the solution. 
And I didn't relate to that as a mom because I'm like, what do you mean? I'm supposed to spend 18 hours in one go, like decluttering all my clothes. <laughs> and of course, her solutions have worked for thousands of people. I'm not knocking it. Yeah. But when we can't relate to the person or the solution, it's hard. And years later, now she has two young kids and she's like, you know, I'm realizing that I'm in a different season in life and that I don't have to have things perfect and tidy 24 seven. It's not a priority for me. And I was like, yes, this is what I've been saying all along that progress, not perfection and shifting again, going back to that narrative, because we all have, them. you know, when we see mess, we personalize it. And um, so sometimes just identifying and acknowledging those narratives you have running through your mind. Stop the comparison game. That's can create a lot of, you know, extra triggering we don't need because, you know, the saying the grass is greener, it's like, well, the grass is actually AstroTurf. Like you can't believe what you see on Instagram and compare your behind the scenes with everyone else's literal highlight reel. And all of those things I think for moms and women can be really fruitful, both short-term and long-term. And kind of just like decluttering your physical possessions is fruitful in so many ways. What I just talked about is like a mental release, like this mental unload. It's like, I don't need to carry this with me anymore. It's not true. I don't need to have those feelings. And it's liberating to be able to do that. It's easier said than done. I get it, but it's very liberating. I think it's really hard because a lot of us know that Instagram is a highlight reel, but I think it still seeps into us that we compare. I went to my friend's house. She's a designer here in town. Beautiful house. I always tell her, I'm like, this is my dream house in her basement. Cause I was shooting some content for expecting and empowered in her gym and her basement. And her basement is the place where she had to release and let the kids kind of have their area. And it was messy. And I was like, I just didn't know that you had any place in your house like this because her upstairs looks like a magazine. And she's like, this is the, this is, this is what I have to do. Like, I, I don't want to see it. So it's in the basement, but like, I can't have every place perfect. So I'm just assuming that a lot of people on Instagram probably also have those places. We just don't see them. And so we're comparing to their nicest places. Okay. On your Instagram account, you explain the difference between clutter and expected mess. So I want to know what's the difference and then how do we treat them differently? Oh my gosh. I, this was a light bulb moment, like, ah, like the heavens opened when I realized this after I began, began decluttering. Like a lot of us do, we declutter and then the clutter comes back. Right. And then it feels like, what's the point? This is too frustrating. And then we're like, we want to give up. And so many women were just saying, well, I cleaned off the countertops and the, the mess is back. And the clutter's back. And I'm like, well, send me pictures, give me some context. Or when I was working one-on-one with them, I could see. And it became very clear to me that what they were referencing as clutter, which made them feel like bad, right? That shame piece came back up. I'm, I'm a failure, all these things. I'm like, this is expected mess. This is mess that happens from everyday living. The reality is it just didn't get put back where it belonged the first time. Maybe that's not an option, you know, but That's why I started saying the solution to expected mess is to understand that it's always going to happen. Sometimes for us moms and women, that's a blessing because we're like, well, we can lower our bar of expectation. So when we clear the countertops and we see a water bottle and an apple core on there two hours later, 
it's a lot less triggering when we get used to the idea of it's it the solution for it to happen over and over, but the solution isn't to declutter those items. Those are what you use, love, you know, help your life typically for the most part and aren't clutter. So I started doing daily resets, which is basically where you just spend five to 10 minutes a day in particular expected mess, kind of hotspot areas, kitchens, maybe a bathroom, living room, play spaces, kitchen tables, counters, things like that. And resetting it back to its tidiness baseline level, anything that doesn't permanently live on the surface area or countertops gets put away, right? And a lot of us do that innately and in the kitchen anyway, but in these different spots in the home, it became so important because even though it's not clutter, our brains are like, it's visual stimuli and it gets overwhelming. So when, and we've all had those moments in different seasons in life. I remember when my kids were little, I had like rice stuck on the floor and stuck on the table for like two days because I just didn't get to, you know, cleaning up my expected mess. But once I got into the habit of doing daily resets, just once, twice, three times a day if I was home all day with the kids in some spaces, it was such a breath of fresh air. And what's really beautiful about this is the mess doesn't build. It doesn't get as overwhelming. Procrastination doesn't tend to kick in as much. And when you see the things you are using and that help your life and are supportive to you and your family, the things that you aren't using, that aren't you don't need, that are clutter, that aren't helping you become a lot more evident and clear. And so it helps provide clients clarity on what is clutter? What can I let go of and not have to worry about? And um, so those are two very different actions. Now, the solution for clutter is to let it go. Um, Our knee-jerk reaction typically as Americans and in our culture is to organize it, right? Go out and get cute bins from Target and think we can organize the solution, organize it as a solution. I tried that for years. It doesn't work. The mess comes back every single time. I mean, it does help aesthetically, yes, to have matching bins. But when you have an excess amount of things... Boy, I mean, it's not long before those bins are filled and you, you know, things are overflowing. Oh, I mean, yes. My kids' toys right now, like I know there's just too many in the house and we need to deal with that. We're going to get into some nuts and bolts a little bit later. I wanted to start with when you were working one-on-one with clients, what was the first step that you guys took in this journey? Because we know we're all, we all have different starting points. Some of us just have a couple areas in our house. Some people have their whole house that they feel like everything needs to be decluttered, which is so overwhelming. So where do you start? Two great places to start. So I like to bring in like a 30,000 foot view because I think it's so important, right? We want to make this sustainable. We don't want to flash in the pan result for the stuff and meta uh, and clutter to come back. And then I'll give you a really tangible tip that I do with all my new clients. So number one is I sit down and I work with them on creating their big why. I'm not sure if we talked about this before um, or if you've heard about it. This is really common. Um, we used to, my husband and I used to be in the healthcare space. We did this with our patients, right? Like, why? do you want to get healthy? Why do you not want knee pain anymore or back pain? What's your life going to look like? And I did the same thing. I do the same thing with my um, declutter clients. Your big why is something so motivating that for those days you wake up, Amy, and you're like, I don't want to declutter today. I have it on my planner at noon, (laughs) but I really don't want to do it, right? It's something so motivating that it helps 
it helps you get through those days, those tough, tougher seasons. It's really your purpose. So it's much bigger than a goal or a wish. It's your purpose, your inner motivation that a lot of us wish we had, right? I wish I just would wake up and feel motivated. And it's not always the magic pill that's going to work. But for a lot of my students, especially in the early stages, when it's typically harder to get started and get motivated, tapping into their big why is really important. So your big why could be something like, I want to simplify and declutter my home so that I can have more time and energy to be present with my family, my kids, so I can have less stress and anxiety and get my mental health back, so I can get my bubbly personality back, so I can... Um, have time to spend with uh, my faith or spend time in my community or serve my community. It looks different for everyone. It's extremely personal. So anytime, how to basically in a nutshell, how to get your big why is you just keep asking yourself why. So answer, mm -hmm. why do you want to declutter at home? Well, most moms will say just so I'm less triggered and don't have as much mess to deal with. Okay. Well, why? Well, I don't want the time I want to spend is with my kids. Why do you want to spend that with your kids? Well, because, you know, I'm a mom. That's why I had kids to begin with, not to chase after them and clean up with them every day. So if you just keep asking yourself why, you'll get deeper and deeper and deeper. And the emotion and meaning starts to become very apparent. So you know you'll you'll have a great big why for yourself when you say it out loud and you either cry or you know tears come to your eyes. And that is something I have my clients when they dial it in and it evolves over time. Mm -hmm. Write it on a sticky, put it on your bathroom mirror, put it on the fridge as a gentle reminder for you, a gentle nudge that that's your purpose, right? And it's a reminder that decluttering is an investment of your time. So many moms and women go, Katie, and this was me too. I was like, oh, I'm so busy. Guess what? You're going to be busy when your kids are 10, when they're 20. I mean, my parents are retired and they are busier than I am. <laughs> we can always stay busy. And I'm not saying there aren't more challenges when we are in early motherhood. My kids are now six and eight, so I'm getting, you know, sleep. However, dialing into that big why is just a, a great way to overcome that and just, hey, I'm going to get five minutes in or I'm going to get rid of 15 things a day or do an hour a week. Small, small and steady really is the way to go. And as far as the investment of your time, the energy, the peace, the time you gain back from decluttering is massive. I'm still reaping the benefits, time, energy, mental health wise, everything wise from what I decluttered six years ago four years ago, three years ago, six weeks ago. So it's never wasted effort to declutter and let go. Okay. Let's solve a big problem inside of my house because I know it's happening in a lot of other houses too. You mentioned you don't believe in going to Target and buying the coupons, which I think we all relate to. Like, I think we've all taken that first step because <laughs> yeah. that doesn't work you know, we have this toy issue where we do have built-ins and we would like all of their toys to fit in. So we got the bins and those are all full. And now there's spill out over in another area. So kind of coaches up on how to declutter something like toys where it, it does feel overwhelming. We have three boys. They're close in age. They're always having a birthday every year and our family loves to buy <laughs> toys for them. Like truly it's, I think it's my mother-in-law's biggest love language is giving mm -hmm. them gifts. So what do we do to get this to a better spot? 
That is a great question. And I think a lot of us can relate to mother-in-laws or mothers, you know, Gigi, grandma, aunt, whoever, Susan, whomever, right? That is definitely a love language is gift giving. And I think um, through personal experience and again, coaching several women through this, ultimately at the end of the day, it comes to one word and that is, well, three, I guess, setting a boundary. And so boundaries, I think are a great way to hopefully meet said person, right? Who's trying to, at the end of the day, show your Mm -hmm. kid and connect with your child and show them how loved they are, right? It's that connection piece. And what a lot of women do are just like, well, I guess, you know, it's the thought that counts. I'll just deal with it on the back end and declutter and, you know, not say anything to mom. But then a lot of resentment tends to grow, right? It's like, ah, so you appreciate the gesture, but it's making your life harder. Maybe the things they're giving aren't quality toys. You know, they end up in the landfill and all these other things that might feel like really frustrating for you. So setting a boundary is a great way to go about doing that. Typically, I recommend like if it's an in-law, have your partner have that conversation versus you, depending on the situation, but just sitting down and acknowledging and thanking them. Um, So, hey, mom, I know for the boys' birthdays every year, you typically get them, I don't know, 10 gifts. But what if this year we did one thing they need, one thing to read, one thing to wear, something like that, right? A little rule like that you could use. Um, How would you feel about that? The reason I'm bringing this up is that because I've noticed that the kids aren't playing as effectively when they have all these toys out. We're having a hard time on our end managing everything and, you know, go into a slight conversation about that. And I think the big thing here, Amy, is to offer, have have five options for them have options. So you could say, Hey, you know what? An idea I had was the boys loved. Do you remember last year when you took them to the water park? Oh my gosh. They keep talking about that. They're like, when's grandma going to come back and take us to the water park? So how about a water park pass? And then, you know, two or three items. Cause typically most people aren't going to just give your kids tickets or like an invisible, you know, membership. They want something to unwrap. And you could say, hey, maybe get them new trunks every year, and then they unwrap that with the membership. You can still tie a physical item to, you know, like a virtual gift and things like that. So I think having that, those options prepared in advance is so helpful. Even saying, hey, if you are at Costco and you see that cool Star Wars Lego set that's half off, would you mind texting me? before you buy it to make sure one, we don't already have it and just, you know, get my approval on it. Um, I mean, there are so many different ways you can work that out together. Or I do have, in some cases, some clients just say to their in-law or family member, listen, (laughs) if you give me something that's not on my Amazon wish list, it's immediately going to be donated. And I know that sounds very extreme to some, but that boundary is put in place to protect you and your family and your values, right? in your home. And so you can take it as far one way or the other as you want. But I really feel like for me personally, and most people finding that happy medium, if the other party is willing is like best case scenario. And then you praise them for when they follow through. That's really important. Um, Hey, I just loved how you know, little Johnny's, he's wearing his trunks around seven days of the week. He just loved the, loves these. Thank you so much for sending these trunks and the water, they, you know, water park tickets. I can't wait to see you. And I appreciate it. People love that. They love to hear like, oh yeah, okay. I'm going to, okay. I'm going to keep doing that then. My mother-in-law loves buying them clothes too. 
So I just mm-hmm. got very specific. Like the boys are in their dry fit era. They only like shirts yeah. that are like comfortable. And so I tell her, I'm like, that's all they wear. And then she nails it and I don't have yeah. to buy any clothes. So it's like, I think that's- sometimes these conversations go better. I know there's all types of people out there, but I do think the conversation yeah. usually goes better than you might expect if you just give some boundaries. Like it's just, it almost helps them to shop when they know what more, what they're looking for. I did mm-hmm. like that. You said, meet them halfway. Cause I think it can be really hard if you're like, absolutely not no gifts when someone yeah. loves to give to give gifts. If you do have an overwhelming toy situation at home, as a mom of two, do you just look for toys that they don't play with? Like, how do you kind of go about that initial sort? Yeah, what I started doing after just decluttering, you know, doing my initial rounds of decluttering when it came to toys is I just started to pay a little bit more attention to what they were playing with and not. And one thing that really helped was ultimately I decided to do toy rotation. So that's when you select Mm. a small amount of their toys that are typically out, um, which happens in a lot of play spaces. It's like everything is available because of storage, lack of storage or something. So it's not possible for everyone. Most people it is. Anyway, you select a small amount of toys, you leave them out, and then you rotate them every two to six weeks. You bring them back out and rotate things that were out, you know, available out of rotation. And then you can very clearly identify, you know, what they're, what they've aged out of, AKA what they're no longer using, um, or interested in. And then it, it just helped me identify really quickly what to declutter. And I felt there were very few occasions when it was like six weeks later, like, Oh, Hey mom, where's that one thing? Um, it rarely happened. So again, it's one of those things that just provides clarity. Um, it can be stressful. So <laughs> make sure to hit up my Instagram account. I have some a lot, a lot of older posts on toy rotation do's and don'ts. But in a nutshell, that by far was one easy way to do it. Easy-ish. Mm, that makes perfect sense to me. I think another area that moms really struggle with is this idea that there's always art projects coming home mm-hmm. all ages. I mean, our four-year-old is bringing it from preschool, you know, our kindergarten our, and our second grader are too. So it gets confusing on what do I keep? We what we do, we get a pile up. Like there's all this art in the kitchen because in a sense, we kind of feel bad throwing it away because they do talk about how hard they work on it. How do you decide what to keep or what's your process of like how you sort that all the artwork that's coming back? Well, when it comes to system or strategy, I mean, I'm sure there's a million YouTube videos on this and like you can find blog posts on this, but I, my disclaimer is whatever system or strategy you want to attempt, make sure it's one that you can be consistent with because what works for me, which I'll share in a minute, might not work for you if you don't feel you can be consistent with it. So consistency is the name of the game. And if you want to test it out, can test it out and try for two weeks. Um, again, we're in different seasons and that's constantly changing. And also what worked for us six months ago might not work now. So again, that's kind of my disclaimer, but I, um, like many got overwhelmed with art clutter as well, especially with two kids in elementary school. So I just decided to simplify it like to the max. And I have my kids unload their backpacks when they get home from school during the school year, they're rising first and second graders and they 
um, unload any art that gets sent home with them and puts them in one bin that's right near the shoe the shoe bench in the entryway. So it's important to have it somewhere where it makes it easy for them to do what you want them to do. My kids were doing that when they were like four and five. Um, it does take a habit, Practice, right? And they're yeah. not perfect 24 seven. That's not the goal. Some people are like, well, my kids would never do that every day. And I'm like, well, maybe one day of the week you do it, but <laughs> what do you want? Do you want to do it every day or do you want them to try? But no matter if you want to do it or they want to do it, I just have one bin at the end of that week. And then I do kind of like a batch work. So once a week, usually on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, I would spend five to 10 minutes going through that bin. And then if they, they know the rule is if there is something that they want to keep, they have a small section in their bedroom where they can hang it and really enjoy it. Right. Because that's, a lot of times why they make art. They want to be able to enjoy it. And I think that's great because it empowers them to choose what they want to keep short-term, long-term, it doesn't matter. And once that space, it's a little rod in the room on the wall. Once that's filled up, they recognize that they need to let some go. And I'm not the one telling them, I'm not the one having to do it. They learn that skill for helping them decide when is it time to let go of something? It's been so cool. And then the other things left in that bin, I kind of just, I, I use, I don't know, like something speaks to me. Like even if it were a homework assignment that came back graded, I'm like, oh, this is so sweet. I want to keep it. I put that in uh, a little memento box. And then the majority of it at the end of the school year, as they each their memento box slowly builds, I send off to a company called Archive. Have you heard of Archive? Only from you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't remember. <laughs> um, so my, my, um, basically it's like a shutterfly of art. So you get a big, they send you a big box in the mail and you put all the artwork in it and then they make a, they take pictures of it. You can tell them to send the art back, but I think that kind of defeats the purpose. <laughs> and then they get rid of the art after they photograph it. They put it in a really cool shutterfly type book. You can add text to it and then um, you get this beautiful little art book, you know, a little 12 by whatever, eight workbook. It's or not workbook, but book. It's just adorable. My kids love looking at them and it's just this little pint sized thing compared to this massive box of elementary memories. Um, so I think that's a, a great tool. Some parents decide to just photograph them and then recycle them, you know. Uh, but there's a lot of great options out there for preserving it without having to keep the physical art. Yeah, we in our house, we do do it's, but it's just a small hanging folder bin. And so like, yeah. I know I can't take up more space than this bin. So each year it's really at the end of the year, doing one final edit and making sure you're only holding on to things that like you absolutely want. Um, but when you have a limit of space sticking to it instead of being like, you know what? I'll add one more bin for middle school. Yes. It's like, just, <laughs> it really keeps you to like yeah. edit down. Um, I love the physical it's a, thing. It's a boundary. Like we talked about earlier, right? Yeah. A, a boundary like protects you that you lay Absolutely. with like a relationship that you, you know, and so the same thing. So you have your physical boundary that protects your home. <laughs> it's they're both, they're both essential in life. Absolutely. Wait, I have to ask you a question. How do you, how do I say this next word? The next question is, can you talk about the Diderot? Is that how you say it? Diderot. Diderot. Okay, perfect. I'm yeah, glad I asked. Yeah, yeah. Diderot. Okay. <laughs> can you talk about the Diderot effect and why many of us in today's society get sucked into it? Oh, so 
I am constantly doing research into like neurobiology and like why our brain like so much relationship with stuff. Like, yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, as I said that my brain quit working, I was like, "Uh." (laughs) but, um, years ago I discovered that there's something called the Diderot effect. And I'm like looking into this and essentially it got coined by a French philosopher whose last name was Diderot back in the 1700s. And he lived most of his life in poverty until one day in his like early 40s, he acquired a large sum of money. And as one does in the 1700s, when you acquire a large sum of money after not having money for your whole life, he went out and bought a fancy new robe. Robes were big back then, like his velvet robe. There's a like a little portrait of him online. You can look it up. And then when he came home and was wearing his robe around his house and feeling so amazing and bougie and fancy, he realized that compared to his robe, the rest of his possession started to look pretty drab. So he started to replace everything. And that's when it was coined. When we buy something new, it often results in this process of spiral, like spiraling consumption in a way and buying things our previous selves never even thought we needed to feel good or content or happy. And for him, it became this compulsion, right? And so I think we've all experienced this where like you get a new couch and then you're like, oh, maybe we should get a new coffee table too. Because compared to this new couch, I don't know. I think we should get a new coffee table. Or you paint your guest bedroom only to realize after you're like, oh, well, now the nightstands are looking kind of shabby or the rug. And right, that spiral of consumption happens to so many of us. So I think, again, just having awareness around it um, is really the first step. But I just find it so interesting to learn about this stuff. That's really interesting for me. I just know I'm not like a designer person. Like I don't need designer bags and shoes and anything like that. Like I, I don't know. I'm just not into it. And so even when I see other people have them, I'm like, I just, I couldn't spend that much money on that. So maybe I am in turn kind of staying away from that effect because my closet has, you know, I do have some quality brands, but I just don't like to spend a whole ton of money on that type of clothing. Okay. So now we've kind of talked about getting our minds around this decluttering process. And I think what I've experienced, I'm sure a lot of your clients have is like the beginning actually really sucks because my closet Every, it got messier before it got better because I took everything yeah. out and I tried it on and it mm-hmm. was tedious. It took me hours and hours if I'm being honest, but then mm-hmm. the next few weeks and even today, I'm like, thank God I did that because it's saving me so much time now, but it's very overwhelming. So I want to know how long does it usually take to de- declutter a space? in the beginning? And then how much time should people spend decluttering their spaces per day? Like, do we have to do it every single day? (laughs) I don't, if that makes you feel better. For maintenance, I don't. Maybe I declutter on average 10 minutes, 20 minutes a month to maintain. Okay. Two 10-minute purges. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, so to operate on the back end and even these 
help you make progress on the front end. Any part of the declutter journey, what I call clutter audits are essential. So when it comes to decluttering and setting this new goal and wanting to simplify and people listen to this podcast are like, I'm feeling encouraged and motivated. I'm going to declutter. And when we set these goals, sometimes we tend to like bite off more than we can chew. Mm -hmm. I'm going to spend the next 10 hours of this one week decluttering. And then it's like day two, we give up like wah, wah, right? Like procrastination sits in all these things, life gets busy. And so one way to establish a habit that will lead to long-term success is, um, doing it small, which I know people mm-hmm. don't like to hear, especially those of us with perfectionistic tendencies who, when we're looking at a closet that is bursting at the seams, we're like, well, I want to have an entire weekend, or I'm going to wait for an elusive eight hour time slot in my week to open up to start. And then meanwhile, it gets, it gets more messy, more cluttered, your stress levels rise. You can't find what you need. You're wearing the same two outfits, even though you have 800 outfits available to you because it's all, you can't find anything. And so um, sometimes, like you said, ripping off the Band-Aid, if you can find those larger chunks of time, it is painful to do. It's tedious, but you will feel better at the end. But if you're not in a season where you can't do that, start with clutter audits. And that is where you just incorporate decluttering into your normal everyday routine. You're anchoring mm-hmm. it to a habit you already have. So most of us get dressed in the morning, right? So you can open your dresser and spend less than 30 seconds, less than five seconds I pull it all the way open, look in the very back and the very bottom, something that's shoved under there. You probably forgot you had it and identify a few things, two, three, four, five things. Make a fun goal for yourself. Uh, Give yourself points or something. Gamify it, right? And let that go. There's your decluttering for the day. And over time, right, if you get rid of five things a day for a month, five times 30, right? 30, 60, nine, no, yeah, no. a mathematician (laughs) 150 yeah Yeah, right 150 this is embarrassing i told you my brain i'm like i love learning about the brain and why mine doesn't work all the time um so it's 150 things right and so i I know again for the perfectionist is challenging but i'm it's fruitful and it's a habit i've kept up with for gosh i don't know almost a decade and it really prevents the oh i have to declutter in the laundry room for 10 minutes this month. And I have to declutter in the guest room. Some people thrive off of that, but I prefer to just make it more organic. And a lot of us do spend time in different rooms with these different habits, whether it's chores, cleaning, whatever. So next time you are going to do the dishes and you open underneath the sink, that's an opportunity to get rid of some old cleaning materials or some dirty sponges or some old rags that have seen better days, right? We don't have to make it this big, elusive, like, okay, I got to sit down. The kids can't be home. It's going to be stressful. And that adds up and pays off so much more than people realize. So I would definitely recommend clutter audits for sure. It's so wild too, because I... I cleaned out my makeup drawer um, and I really was, you know, very firm on like what I kept and what I didn't. I absolutely know what I use. And now when people see my makeup, they're like, that's all you have. It's like this really weird thing in our society that like more is better. And I'm like, I have a very simple makeup routine. This is all I need to have. I want to know for you personally, if you buy something new for your closet, like you buy a clothing item, do you get rid of one? 
I am in a season where I do it. I'm okay. not always like that, okay. but as I've noticed, um, cause I purchased some things this summer intentional, but I'm like my closet, it's not bursting at the seams. It's not mm-hmm. even full, but it's fuller than I'd like. Yeah. Um, mostly from like, I'm just, I have a low, I have a low, like, Threshold. Stim- like threshold <laughs> for like stuff now. Yeah. And I like like three inches, two inches, three inches between my hangers, you know, just like silly nuances like that, where it just feels peaceful starting to feel like the hangers are getting a little bit closer together. So I, I do believe that at certain points, especially when your physical boundaries on the line soon, one in one out is a fantastic rule. Same with toys, right? If the, that was always my rule with the kids, like here's your physical boundary is a six cube cubby as it starts to overflow, you get to decide what to, what to let go of. And again, it empowered them. Even when they were quite small, they're like, oh yeah, I can, I can visually see it's overflowing. Um, so it wasn't a hard concept to understand. Yeah. I think it's hard for women in the season that we're talking to them because a lot of them are pregnant or postpartum. And so that idea yes. of even like the toy rotation, like the clothes rotation, like if things aren't fitting you in your closet, maybe having them be in another storage space so that you're, you don't just get so overwhelmed by everything. When I simplified my closet, like I said, it just saves me so much time. All the stuff I wear is right there and I don't have to sort through all these things that I don't wear. Um, on your Instagram account, this leads right into our next question. You had a post and it said five signs, your stuff is owning you. Can you Mm -hmm. highlight what some of these signs are? Yeah, right. We should own our stuff, but oftentimes it feels the other way around. Um, I mentioned one earlier avoidance, right? If you feel like you are a happier, better mom when you're not at home. I used to feel like two moms, right? When I was at the park with my kids or even like running to the grocery store, like, oh, I'm so, you know, my bubbly personality shined a little bit like, oh yes, not that it was unicorns and rainbows all the time. But the second I walked through the threshold of my front door, I was like, you need to clean up. You need to fill up a trash bag with stuff. We have too much stuff. Uh, Leave me alone. I got to do chores, right? Um, so if that's like resonating, if you're like, oh, I feel that, that's a sign your stuff is owning you. If you are home and you feel constantly pulled to do housework, declutter, organize, chores, all those things, even though you'd rather be spending time with your family, doing a board game, giving your kiddo extra snuggles, if you have this nagging voice that is like, mm, you should probably be doing decluttering or whatever, right? That's another sign. Um, if you struggle to relax at home, right? Because there's always so much to do. You have a a never ending to-do list that seems to grow and not shrink every day. And if you feel that constant distraction, inability to relax, your stuff is totally owning you. If your inner voice that we talked about, that narrative is shaming or blaming you for the state of your home, making you feel like a failure and all these things. And if you regularly feel triggered, we kind of talked about a lot of these, right? But if you feel triggered or stressed by clutter on a constant basis, or even mess. Hopefully some of the things I shared earlier about rewriting that story or narrative proof fruitful, but a lot of these things take practice. But if any of those resonate by far, just start with decluttering 10 minutes, do a clutter audit, do a, you know, a habit, three clutter audits a week in laundry room. I mean, wherever you feel like is a clutter hotspot for you, 
and start doing daily resets. And I promise you in one week, two weeks, your home will start to look and feel better. And you're going to be saving time and energy throughout your day. And especially at the end of your day, when we want to do things to relax, we want to do things for ourselves. We want to watch Netflix. We want to listen to a podcast. We just want to like lay in bed and scroll mindlessly on our phone. Some of us, right? It's all good. But when our, when we're tied to chores and moving stuff around and piles and stuff at night, oof, right? Your stuff is owning you. So take back control of your home. And I want to encourage all your listeners. Again, I, I started decluttering at the worst possible time in my life when my husband was in the hospital after a car accident and he was immobile. But my big why became so big at that reason at that time, because I was like, I need to show up as the mom that I've always wanted to be. And I know I can be but I can't because all of this stuff is in my way, literally and figuratively. And so no matter how much time you have, no matter if you're pregnant or have two kids or eight kids, you can simplify your systems, you can declutter your space, and it's gonna impact your relationships, your mental health, um, your belief in yourself, your happiness levels, your contentment. It just bleeds into everything. And again, it's an investment of your time, you gain back massive dividends that you get from putting in into it. And it's always worth it. Katie, I'm so inspired right now. I want to like run home and, <laughs> and declutter the toys. I will stay at work, but I'm telling you, like, I just feel so inspired. Like when you sit, everything that you're saying makes sense. And we also have such compassion for women that do have their house feels overwhelming because if I'm being really honest, I'm still in like the rage declutter era. I'm going to try to move out of it. So like I will grab a garbage bag and be like, I can't do this anymore. Like this is going. So if you're there, we get it. Katie, I want you to tell everyone where they can find more of you and more tips in case they're just as inspired as I am. Oh, you're too sweet. Uh, Come hang out with me on the show, The Maximized Minimalist. I have Wednesday episodes each week and uh, YouTube. I took a little break for summertime, but I've got a lot of YouTube videos you can dive into. And then Instagram is my favorite social media of choice if I had to pick one. (laughs) So you can come hang out with me there too. (laughs) If you guys like this episode, we would love if you shared it on Instagram. It's our favorite place too. And tag at Katie Joy Wells and at Expect and empowered. Thanks so much for listening. 